today we're going to be going through uh, a kind of starting a new series um, as we start picking out different uh, men of the Bible that we can learn from. And we're going to start off by diving in and learning from Abraham. And so we're going to be all the way back in Genesis. And this is going to be learning from Abraham part one. And today uh, we're really, we're really going to unpack a lot from just a little part of his story. And so um, those of y'all who know a little bit about Abraham and scripture, um, you might be surprised on how far we get before we stop today because um, there's really a lot of depth that we can get from his life, even just at the beginning. So starting off, we're going to look at Genesis, starting in chapter 11, verse 27. And it says, Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died during the lifetime of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. Now Terah took his son Abram and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, uh, and they departed against uh, they departed together from Ur to the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. It goes on to say in the next chapter, Genesis 12, starting in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And the, the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then it says in verse 4, So Abram went away as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So this very first point that I want us to pull from Abram's, uh, here he's named Abram, but Lot, God later changes his name to Abraham. Now here, um, I want us to start off by looking at how Abraham was a man who sowed and reaped. A man who sowed and reaped. And it shows us that a man who sows certainly does reap. And what you do today determines your tomorrow. That's a, the real big first focus point I want us to have is what you do today determines your tomorrow. And at the beginning of Abraham's story, we learn a little bit about uh, uh, of his family and his upbringing. Um, one... This is this is pretty soon after Noah, uh, the whole, the great flood, and all of the family, all of the the families of the world are now derived from Noah and his three sons. And so it's important to understand that, in uh, even when it comes to uh, like a DNA uh, uh, analysis, if we were to see that 
um, the earth, the early man, their DNA was so pure and over time uh, continually was um, corrupted or uh, split apart. So imagine Adam and Eve, and as they had children, their children were, in a sense, uh, they, their children were given into marriage to each other. Their DNA was so pure that as it continued to split, it did not, there was no, uh, there's no defects in any way. And it was only until um, uh, hundreds of years later to where God uh, instituted the law for for um, people to not marry their brothers or sisters or anything like that. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because now today, of course, incest not only is uh, gross and weird and wrong, um, but uh, DNA-wise, it causes birth defects. And so that, that's the reason I'm, I'm making reference to the DNA purity of centuries ago um, and thousands of years ago to how close it was to Noah in, in that time. Now, I say all that to give clarity on the fact that this whole, this short lineage that gives um, of, of Abraham and his family, it shows a lot of intersecting uh, uh, ties. Even Sadai is his half sister. Okay, so it's important to reference, to, to understand that um, to, to today's day and age, this would be inappropriate and weird. But in that day and age, it was not inappropriate and weird yet, uh, if that makes sense. And so even we have like uh, a lot of mixing between even this small family to where um, uh, Nahor's wife was Milka, which was actually his niece. And so um, the reason I'm bringing all this up is not as much as what it has to do with today's talk, but for you as your as in your own faith and belief system, whenever you would, if you would ever be confronted with this kind of question, felt like it would be appropriate to bring up so that you would understand um, why this kind of mixing is in scripture. That, uh, and it all really derives from the purity of DNA in the early mankind. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So going back to Abraham, at the beginning of his story, we learned a lot about his family and upbringing. Besides his own parents, we see that he has a brother and a sister-in-law and a nephew. He has two brothers, a sister-in-law and a nephew. And when his brother dies, Haran, we see that the father Terah travels the remaining family towards Canaan. Okay, so it says that Terah was on his way to Canaan in this story. But he ends up settling in Haran, a town with the same name as his deceased son. And there's some meaningful takeaways from this point. First is that it makes mention of Sadai going with them. Sadai would be uh, Terah's uh, daughter-in-law. But it makes no mention of him bringing the mother of Lot. I, I, the reason that this, this is interesting is because uh, Lot's father dies. He takes Lot with him. And there's no mention of his mother anywhere. Typically, we would see the son take care of the mother as they got older, and the and they would still be uh, connected to the in-laws. So you could look at the book of Ruth, how even Ruth stayed with her mother-in-law Noemi uh, after her husband died. It's just like that. It's a um, it's just a natural thing to see. And even when you see uh, uh, Ishmael took care of Hagar, 
later on in Abraham, Ishmael's Abraham's son later, and he takes care of Hagar after they, they left. And so what I'm getting at is we, we do not see Lot's mother involved in this picture at all. She, she's nowhere to be found, nowhere near Lot. This could mean that either she died with the father but was not mentioned or that she left the family in order to start a new uh, to start new uh, a new attempt at life um, by by trying to maybe attempting to get remarried or to join another family especially in these times um, women did not necessarily work like they do today and so they would find their sustenance by by uh, joining a family through marriage and so it's very likely that um, it's very likely that she left Lot, left the family, and uh, so that it would make, um, so that she would have more of an attractive, uh, uh, an attractive stance in finding a new man in that culture, by not having any, by being able to present herself with not having any previous husbands or any ad, uh, any children with added financial burdens, and so it could be that she just literally ran out. Um, and try to start fresh and left Lot with the the grandfather. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And it's a very highly likely scenario because we don't see her mentioned anywhere. And it's not just because she's uh, a woman. It, it, we see even later in the story, um, at the end of this, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, even there it says that Lot went with Abraham. And it still makes no mention of Lot, uh, Lot's mom. So if this is the case, when Abraham takes Lot with him, he truly acts as a father to the fatherless. The reason that this is so important is because his compassion to his nephew Lot is, is compassion to the orphan. And this compassion to the orphan reflects God's heart in, in an extraordinary way. God consistently calls himself a father to the fatherless. He consistently shows himself to have compassion to the widow and to the orphan. And so it shows why Abraham in particular stood out to God when looking for him, uh, looking for someone to establish a covenant with for the lineage of the promised Messiah. It makes sense of why he would establish that with Abraham because we even in this beginning of his story, we see him reflecting God's heart. It also reflects the promise of God to Abraham in a much more meaningful way too. Because a promise that he gives to Abraham is that you will have descendants, even though in this story right here, he's already in his 70s. And so um, it's not typical that, uh, that, uh, that people start having kids in their 70s. And it and that's why Abraham consistently doubts the promise of God in, in having descendants. But it reflects uh, it reflects how, of course, we know later that Abraham ends up having the promised son. But it makes that promise so much more meaningful because we, uh, while we could, while he could not have children himself at the time, he still acted as a father to those who were near him, and so he was sowing. A seed, a spiritual seed. It was a spiritual investment that carried over to him being a physical father later on. He was a spiritual father to Lot, and he became a physical father in the end. And it's all because he he sowed a seed today that he was able to reap for the future. And and it's it's also very prophetic as well because 
He is known in Scripture as being the spiritual father to our faith. All of our faith, in a sense, uh, is seen starting with Abraham and this first covenant made under the Abrahamic covenant of the Messiah. And so it, it's, it's something incredibly special to see that it wasn't just by random chance Abraham was selected to be the elect. He, he wasn't just chosen by random, but that he truly showed God's heart. He was a man who sowed spiritual seeds of investment. And what we could definitely learn from him is that uh, even for things that we dream of or desire, that it shouldn't that uh, God makes a way for us to invest that kind of heart in now in different uh, different meaningful ways. So this big point is what you do today determines your tomorrow. We can learn about Abraham how he was a man who sows, uh, how he was a man who sowed, which made him a man who reaped. So with that being said, I want us to to pick up another point, and that is setting up next in line. Setting up the next in line. You have the potential to completely change the lives of those around you and after you. You have the potential to completely change the lives of those around you and after you. Another thing that we can learn from this text is that Abraham was told by God to go to Canaan when Terah, his father, was originally headed there before stopping in Haran. So this could be just a coincidence, or it could be that God had first spoke to Terah to go to Canaan. Again, remember, it said that Terah was on his way to Canaan. It's either a coincidence or God had originally told him. But when traveling through Haran, we see that it seems as though Terah became overly emotional and settled there uh, instead of uh, instead of moving on to Canaan in order to feel more emotionally connected to his deceased son. It, it, I don't feel like it's, uh, I've, it's too coincident. Whenever there's moments that are like too coincidental, um, it, it's moments that we can see things to be more so on purpose. And the fact that he stopped, out of all the, place, all the towns to stop in, he, he stopped in Haran and, and ended up settling there. It's just most likely that it was because it made him feel closer to his deceased son. But either way, we see Abraham finishing what his father started. This is key here. Abraham ended up finishing what his father started. And when looking at lineage this way, if we were to look at our lives as a lineage, it's truly like a timeline. Like we had our fathers before us and we have uh, sons uh, sons and children after us. Um, my, sorry, my, uh, my speakers got all messed up, but, um, if we would look at our lineage like that to where we have our, our fathers and our grandfathers and our great grandfathers, and then there's us, and then we have our children, our grandchildren, our great grandchildren, what we, when we look at lineage in that way, we can see the power and potential in our decisions in a more meaningful way, knowing that. What, that we set up the generations after us. Everything that we are today are, is us standing on the shoulders of our predecessors before us, our grandfathers before us. And they will, our children and the generations after us will either be continuing something great that was already started or they're going to have to be starting from scratch because we gave nothing to them. It's a really powerful concept to, to think about. And it shows 
How much influence our short life has on the world and why we should take our days and our integrity seriously. Even though we, fe we only feel our actions and consequences immediately, our children, our grandchildren, even those that are just uh, within our families, they will be affected by our decisions today, just like how all of us have been set up in some way by the generations before us. So remember, you have the potential to completely change the lives of those around you and after you. Now the last thing, uh, let's go into our last point. And we're going to continue this story with one more passage in Genesis chapter 12, verses 5 through 9. And it says, Abram took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the people which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Sheshem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanites were in the land at that time. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give the land. So he built an altar went there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Now, this final point is really what I think is most important about Abraham in today's message. And what we can pull from it is that your devotion to God is something built one brick at a time. Your devotion to God is something that is built one brick at a time. Abraham always pitched his tents, but built his altars. He always pitched his tents, but he would build his altars. Most of his life, he is a nomad who is constantly traveling, which is why he always pitched a tent. He's always going to be moving. He knew that everywhere he went was only temporary. And whether it was weeks, months, or even years, he knew that he wasn't going to be staying there because God had called him to this, to this, uh, this destination. But while he pitched his tents, he always built an altar. Think about that for a moment. Everywhere he went, he pitched a tent, but he would build an altar. The altars, uh, the altars were built when he arrived and stayed when he left. The tents he would pitch and then tear down, but the altars he built stayed after he left. He took more time and effort in settle, settle, setting up his devotion to God more than he did anything else. He saw each of those altars as more important than his rest, than his protection, than his comfort, than his security, than his way of life. And I'm sure at first it probably felt complicated, just like how it feels for us in a lot of different ways. I'm sure that even there were people in his household that would question his efforts and his ideas about it. Like, why are you doing this when we don't even have a proper roof over our heads? Maybe we should build a small wall around our tents for protection instead of putting all these rocks for an altar. Or I'm sure that he even had his own doubts at times. Maybe I don't need to be doing this every single time. Or maybe he's thinking, oof, man, we just got here and that was a really long journey. Maybe I should just build it tomorrow or even next week. But with all of the possible uh, resistance that he faced, he still built his altars everywhere he went, no matter how much doubt may have been in, in that place. And I believe that this kind of consistency shows true power and authentic spiritualism. 
he didn't have these grand gestures of being spiritual. He didn't, he didn't hire a personal priest. And in those times, that was actually common, hiring a personal priest. He didn't have these grand gestures. He didn't hire a personal priest. He had a simple devotion that he committed to, and he laid that devotion down brick by brick. And I believe this is another reason that God's favor rested on him. And in his single act of devotion, his whole family and his household benefited from it. It wasn't only Abraham that was blessed because of his devotion, but everything that was connected to Abraham was blessed because of it. People who did nothing, people who didn't even lay one brick on that altar were blessed because Abraham laid his bricks down. And this is such a great example for us to follow as men, aligning our devotion of God to be number one priority in our lives. Aligning our devotion of God to be number one priority in our lives. And when we do that, everything else will be simpler and even more effective. When we put God as number one, everything else will be simpler and even more effective because God's favor will shine on you, just like it did for Abraham. With that being said, I want us to have a moment of prayer and then we're going to go into our feedback time. As If you're listening to this call at any point and you feel on your heart that you need to make that devotion to God number one, Maybe you have not had a moment where you've made a clear decision to make Jesus the the devoted figure in your life that he should be. And you've never made just like a, a, a choice to follow him, to trust in him, to make him your Lord or your Savior. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. And it's simply saying that if you talk to Jesus yourself, acknowledge that he is the Son of God, who died on the cross for the world's sins and rose from the dead, then surely you shall be saved. It's saying that, that authentic conversation is all it takes to start this journey with him. And if that is you, I encourage you to have that conversation today. Don't let it be put off any longer, but make that decision today. And that being said, let me pray. God, I pray that you minister to every man on this call and that you help us to learn from Abraham's story, that you help us to grow and help us to be spiritual, masculine men. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen.